we know that uh, you just have so many great treasures in your scripture, but today we're going to be looking at a very special one, Lord. We've been learning from you about what it means to enter the holiest of holies, and today, Lord, in, in this text, you're going to give us a picture of what we can expect to see when we get there, if we'll just open those spiritual eyes, if we'll just believe in our hearts that when we come to you in prayer, that we come to a very special place. And you're going to show us that place in this text today. So, so Lord, I ask again by the power of your Holy Spirit that, that you teach us these lessons today as only you can do. And I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. And we'll be in chapter number 12 today. In chapter number 12. And I, we're coming to a really, I mean, we're coming to a really great text here today in, in uh, chapter number 12. I think it's one of the, one of the most special passages in the Bible. Uh, and, and it's an encouraging passage, especially as we're running this race that God has set before us. In any race, if you're running a race, it's always good to see the finish line. I mean, because you know when you get to the finish line, that's the only place you can have victory is at the finish line. You've got to finish the race or you're not going to have victory. And it's at the finish line that you can finally rest and you can finally be refreshed. You know, that's why I like short races. A uh, uh, 100-yard dash works good for me because I can see the finish line from start to finish. I don't think I would ever... Uh, ponder doing a marathon I mean for those first what is it 26 miles that you run in a marathon for those first 25 and three quarters of a mile you don't see the finish line and that puts a really uh, mental barrier in the heart of most people or a lot of people and that makes it really hard to finish a marathon uh, and the Christian life as I said before it's not a sprint it's a marathon and so uh, we're running a tough race Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 4 he says I run toward the finish line for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ and and our goal I mean all of us want to finish the race all of us want the victory all of us want the rest and refreshment that's going to come when we finally uh, fulfill that upward call of Jesus Christ but again, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. I mean, I'm a pretty, I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty impatient person. I, I, that's why I would rather the Christian life be a sprint than be a marathon. I remember when I first got saved back in 1989, I remember the first thing I started listening to were these prophecy guys. And, and that was pretty exciting because I could, when I listened to those prophecies and they were telling me that the end was about to come any day, I could see the finish line, man, and I could run pretty fast. I mean, I remember reading Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet of Earth, and I said, man, this is going to happen any day now. I mean, I don't have to run very long at all. And I read other prophecy books, and now 26 years later, I'm still running. Some of you have been running longer than that. You remember back in the year 2000 when, when everybody was saying that we were going to have this Y2K event that was going to take us into this great economic collapse and, and uh, the world was going to end. 
And man, I wasn't worried about that. I was excited because to me, Y2K represented the finish line. We were done with this race. I mean, so, you know, it, it, it was exciting to me. But Y2 came and, and went, and here we're still running. Well, this year, <laughs> this year, we had four blood moons on the feast days. Any of you hear about that? This was it? I mean, the Feast of Trumpets, I got up that morning, waited for it to blow. Now, if it blew and there was a rapture, I didn't get raptured. But I got news for you, you didn't get raptured either. So I don't know what you're laughing at. We came back to comfort Oh, okay. To tell me what it was like. But that was exciting because... I could see the finish line. I mean, when the doctor told me, I, your heart's pretty bad, man, I said, okay, there's the finish line. You know what? You know, God has a sense of humor. I'm still running. Here I am still running. And you're running with me. But it's a long race. I mean, it's a real long race. And, and I, I know prophecy is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with studying prophecy, but we got to be careful because it doesn't end the race because we're in this prophetic end time and we can't take our focus off of, off of running the race. We're still in the race. And, and, and I know it's encouraging to study prophecy and I'm not putting down prophecy, but, and, and I believe we are getting close to the end, but we're still in the race. And you know what the author is going to, of Hebrews is going to show us today a much better way to encourage ourselves than through prophecy. I mean, the problem with prophecy, one of these events comes and you get all excited and then it's gone and here you are running again. And, and it kind of brings you down a little bit. And because I think, you know, we want the end to come, but maybe God isn't in such a hurry. Because there's a lot of people in this world who still aren't saved. And he's not going to come back until... Every person who will get saved is saved. And, and, and that might be next week, but that might be 100 years from now. And so we're to stay in the race. And, and, and that's what is so encouraging about this text that we're going to look at today. Because, because what we're going to see in this text is that, that we've, if, if you can see this with your spiritual eyes, if you'll believe this by faith, you, if you, you're a born-again believer, you've already in God's eyes crossed the finish line. You're already at the place of rest. You're already at the place of refreshment. And you can find joy and you can find the strength to, to keep right on running because, man, you already have the victory. That's what he's going to show us today. So go with me to verse number one and let's look at this, this text in Hebrews, beginning in verse number one. He says, therefore. And whenever we see a therefore, what do we have to do? We have to ask what it's there for. Why is it there? It's there because last week he told us all about, in last week's text, he told us all about the discipline of God. Is the discipline of God very pleasant? Is that a pleasant thing? No, it's a very unpleasant thing. And what happens sometimes when we're disciplined by God, we get really discouraged. When the devil, God allows the devil to come at us, the world to come at us, he allows us to fall into sin, uh, he, he disciplines us, it's pretty discouraging. And we take our eyes off the finish line and we look at our immediate circumstances and we begin to fade. We begin to fade really bad. And we begin, and you get, look at the picture, he says. Therefore, strengthen 
the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. What happens to a runner who's running like this? He's got his arms moving and then he gets tired. And he, he, his hands begin to hang down, his knees begin to bend. I mean, that's the kind of way we are when we get discouraged. We begin to mope and we begin to, we begin to, to pout. And we, begin, we have these pity parties. And he says, and, and, and we don't want to finish the race. And, and what, what the author is telling us and what the Lord is telling us in this text, strengthen those hands which hang down. Uh, uh, strengthen those feeble knees and, and pick up the pace. You're in a race. Don't quit. Keep going. You got to endure. And then verse number 13, he says, make straight the path for your feet. So what is lame may not be dislocated. What is injured may not be dislocated. It might, so you're, you're totally taken out of the race. But rather be healed. As you run, you can actually be healed. I mean, if you were to run a marathon, and I don't know if we have any marathon runners here or long distance runners in here or not, but, but any long distance runner will tell you there are very good odds when you're running a marathon that you're going to have some kind of injury along the way. You're going, to have a, you're going to have a pulled muscle or you're going to have a bad a knee that hurts or you're going to have cramps or something that's going to try to slow you down. And you, at that point, you can either quit or you can gut it out. But your, your joints aren't dislocated, so you still can run. I mean, in the Christian walk, there's things that are going to make us feel like, man, we just can't go any further. We're going to be injured. We're going to be injured by the devil. We're going to be injured by the world. We're going to be injured by the discipline of God. But, but we're, to, we're to strengthen ourselves. I mean, we're to, we're to, we're to uh, put our eyes on the finish line, and we're just to keep running as fast, as hard as we can. I mean, sin will, 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 will injure us. But what do we do? We, we, what does he say here? He says, make straight your paths. I mean, get, uh, get rid of those weights that beset you, those things that entangle you, and make straight your paths for your feet. And as you run, what's lame will be healed. God will heal it. Don't quit. Keep running. And then in verse number 14, look at what he says. And this is a tough one right here. He says in verse number 14, Pursue peace with the people you like. Is that what it says? No. In my version, it says that. The GLV version. But, but that's not an official version. You don't want to read that version. Pursue peace with all people. What's all mean in the Greek? All people. That means our friends and our enemies. We're to pray for those that persecute us along the way. I mean, if you're running a race... If you're running a race and, and all you're doing is squabbling with your competitors, you're not going to get very far. You're going to be slowed way down. And so he tells us to pursue peace with all people. I mean, with, with all people. Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 18, he says, if it, is po as if it is possible, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. So it's not always possible to have peace, and that's not what he's saying in this text. But you're to pursue peace. You're, you do your part to make sure there's peace in your life with, with your friends and with your enemies so that you can run the race and so that you can be the witness that God wants you to be. But then look at the last part of this verse. He says, pursue peace with all people and holiness. What is holiness? What is holiness? It's sort of per perfect, right? You know what holiness is? 
It is the absolute perfection of God. Pursue holiness. For without holiness, look at this warning. No one, may not, the world needs to hear this verse right here. Without holiness, no one will see God ever, except at the white throne. You will see him. You will see him at the white throne judgment seat when he sends you to hell for, for eternity. Without holiness, no one will see God. Uh-oh, that kind of scares me. I don't know about you, but I'm not always holy. So is he saying here that, that we have to make ourselves holy, absolutely perfect in order to see God? No, he's not saying that at all. If you want to look back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, just a, just a little bit back, look at Hebrews 10, 14, listen to what he says. He's, and it's the same Greek word here for holy, perfected there in verse 14. He says, for one offering he has perfected. He has made holy for how long? Forever. Those who are being made holy. So what he's saying here in verse number uh, 14 isn't that you're to make yourself holy. You've been made holy. And that's what's going to give you access to God. That's the only thing that gives you access to God. But you have, when you're, when you're made holy, and you're still being made holy, you've been given the perfect holy nature of God. So part of you is perfect, but the rest of you isn't. You still carry around your old flesh. So we're to ha we have to pursue holiness. In other words, we're God's perfect people, so we should live like God's perfect people. Pursue what God's given you, that new nature. Everything, Paul says everything's involved in the new nature. We're to seek the, the things above and not the things below. We're to feed the new nature. And so uh, that we run the race that God has called us to run. Now look at verse number 15. He says, looking carefully. The word there is the same word that you get episcopus, episcopalian. It means a lookout. We're to be lookouts. Look out for what? We're to be looking out for the finish line. Looking towards the finish line. Who's at the finish line? Jesus Christ. So our eyes should be looking out for Jesus Christ. Some, some uh, expositors would say that's looking out for each other. But, and, I, and I think we should be doing that. But that's, I don't think that's what he's saying here. We're to be looking out carefully, looking towards the finish line, unless we don't finish. Unless we fall short of the gift now, it says grace there, but the same word uh, translates gift, and, and I think gift is more appropriate. Lest we fall short of the gifts, our gift of God. What is the gift of God? Eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's the gift of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. By this, many become defiled. They become defiled. They finish the race, but they become defiled. When you become bitter, you become defiled. What makes you become bitter? When you're looking at Jesus Christ, can you become bitter? When we were singing that last hymn this morning, if your heart was bitter, you got a serious problem. 
Jesus paid it all. When we look to Jesus, just for that moment when we were focusing on Jesus this morning, and we're focusing on Jesus now, man, it's hard to have any bitterness in your heart. So we want to focus on the Lord. We want our focus to be on the Lord. When our focus is on the world, I'm going to tell you what, when your focus is on the world, you can expect to be bitter. You can expect a root of bitterness to come up in your heart. When you're squabbling with your neighbor, you can expect bitterness. And it's going to hinder your, your race. It's going to hinder, uh, you're going to finish, but you're going to become defiled. Now, when you become defiled, what does that do to your witness? That harms your witness. Uh, it, it harms your, your you only, not only harm yourself, you harm your witness. You know, a bitter Christian can't witness to anybody. And you can't fake joy. I mean, you can't fake that. People who really have the joy of the Lord, man, they're not faking it. You know they've got the joy of the Lord. So anyway, he says in the next verse, I mean, this is what the scary thing, and I want everybody to see this. I don't think we have any Esau's in here, but man, there's a danger here. Lest there be you so defiled, here's the warning he's trying to give you, lest you be like Esau. Or a fornicator. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for a morsel of food sold his birthright. Now, some Christians who are really Christians defile themselves with their bitterness. Because they got too much focus on the world. I can tell you that's what it is. Whenever I'm bitter, I, I know why I'm bitter. It's because I'm not focusing on the Lord. And the Lord has to, that's where the discipline comes back in. The Lord disciplines you and he gets your focus back on him. But worse than that are people who call themselves Christians and they're really nothing more than pretenders. Nothing more than pretenders. And they, they're never going to finish the race. They're really not in the race. They're pretenders. Why are they pretenders and why won't they finish the race? Because they trade their birthright. For the pleasures of this world. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not one of these guys who, I believe God gives, every perfect gift comes from the Lord. I believe God gives us the things of this world to enjoy. But we have to be careful that they don't become our God. That they don't become our focus. I mean, when we trade our birthright for the pleasures of this world, when, when our eyes are on a different finish line, then we might, we might very well not be saved. And so he gives us two examples here to warn us about that. He gives us one general example and one very specific example. The general example that he gives us here are fornicators. Fornicators, that is the Greek word pornos, from which we get our English word pornography. And it means people who live in sexual sin and they never make it to the finish line. You know, I certainly believe that Christians can fall into sexual sin. I believe that. And I'm not saying that if you've been a homosexual or you fell into homosexuality or you fell into adultery that you can't be saved or you're not saved and you're condemned. No, not at all. But if you can live in that and, and what bothers me about what's going on in our country today, you can call it all okay. You can actually embrace it. Don't tell me you're saved because you're a fornicator. And fornicators are not going to make it to heaven. I'm going to show you that in about 10 places in the Bible. 
ex-fornicators and Christians who fall into fornication will make it. But if you're just, your mind set on being a fornicator, then you're a pretender. And you're not going to finish the race. Neither will a profane person, a profane person, like Esau. This is the scary one. He's the real scary guy. You know, there's some guys in the Bible that really scare me. Really scare me. Judas. I mean, it seems pretty obvious Judas is not in heaven. But man, even when they were sitting at the, at, the, at the Lord's Supper and the Lord said, one of you is going to betray me, you would all the disciples said, is it I? Nobody really knew who it was. He had fooled everybody, everybody but Jesus. He was a pretender. Uh, Saul, man, that guy Saul scares me. I mean, I mean, I, I, Saul was the king of Israel, the first king of Israel. But he was a pretender. And then this guy Esau, man, you talk about a profane man. He was a profane man. Why was he a profane man? Because he trampled on the blessing of God. Man, he was a rightful heir to the Abrahamic covenant. But he cared more about a bowl of lentil soup, about feeding his own belly, than he did about his inheritance. And I believe there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who are profane people. They, they make light of the blood of Jesus Christ. They make light of the privilege we have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and they see that stuff little of little value in, in comparison to their worldly treasures. And I tell you, there's a danger for all of us in the United States of America to be like Esau. And to be a profane person who never made it to the finish line. And look what he did when he didn't make it. But you know that afterward, verse number 17, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Man, he wasn't just rejected. He wasn't even rejected by his father. Who was he rejected by? God Almighty. He was rejected for he found no place for repentance though he sought it diligently with tears. Esau regretted that he lost the blessing, man. He regretted that greatly. But let me tell you something. Regret, I don't care how deep it is, is not the same as repentance. They are totally different. Repentance is, is to turn from what you're doing wrong and go the other way to turn from the world and turn to the Lord. And, and, and I'll tell you this, I mean, a lot of times regret will cause you to have repentance. There's no doubt about that, but it didn't happen in Esau's case and it doesn't happen in everybody's case. Esau never turned from his worldly lust to wanting to have a relationship with God. He never cared about those things. And so he lost the blessing and he regretted it because he lost the blessing. But he didn't regret losing the Lord. In other words, he wanted the blessing, but he didn't want the blesser. And we got to be real careful with that. I mean, even for us, who we, uh, us that know we're born again, there's a danger. 
that we grieve the Holy Spirit, that we harm our relationship with the Lord. I mean, we're still holy. We're still going to make it. We're still going to, you know, finish the race. But we harm things. We grieve the Spirit. We quench the Spirit when we don't, we make light of the things of God. So, he was a profane person. You know, again, I believe there are a lot of people in the church that make light of the blessings of God. And they never make it to the finish line. All right, now, going on. Let let me add one thing to that. Because I don't want to, there's a danger when you get into a, the the Hebrews, Hebrews is full of these great treasures of blessings. And then every one of them is followed by a very severe warning here's what I don't and here's where some people take the book I don't want it to become legalistic for you that's not what he's trying to do at all he's just trying to make sure you're there just make sure that the that you're at a place where the most important thing in your life is the Lord and that you're seeking the blesser more than you're seeking the blessing Lord the Lord loves to bless his children but he wants us seeking him more than anything else. And so there's these warnings in the text to make sure, make sure first of all that you're saved. If you're saved, then hey, all of these things apply to you. All of these blessings apply to you. And, and, and so, so anyway, uh, let's go to, to the next uh, passage. And here's where it gets really good. Here's what I want you to see. So we've, we've been given the warning. First of all, make sure you're really saved. Make sure you're there. Make sure you're not a pretender. But if you're not a pretender, he's going to show us how we run this race. He's going to show us uh, how we run it or or, or, uh, what applies to us as far as being truly born again believers. I mean, listen to what he says here. For you, those of you who are truly born, verse number 18, you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burn with the blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the word so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Remember the Israelites? They didn't want to hear from God. Man, they saw that mountain and it was quaking and it was a big cloud over it and there was thunder and lightning and they didn't, want any, they didn't want anything to do with that mountain. Moses, you go up on that mountain. We don't want anything to do with that. And then we'll do whatever he tells us to do. But man, we don't, we don't want to have anything to do with that mountain. For they could not endure what was com- commanded. And, and if so, if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. So if you even came near to that mountain and felt you were worthy of climbing up that mountain, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? You're saying that you can keep the law because this is Mount Sinai and it represents the law. And so you would, anybody who tries to keep the law, what's the penalty for not keeping the law? You get stoned. So if you even try to come near that mountain, you get stoned and, and shot with an arrow. And so terrible was the sight of that mountain that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. Moses himself said that. And he had to go up on that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. You talk about a brave dude, a people that loved his people to make that sacrifice. They go up that scary mountain and, 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 and make it up there and bring them back the law. 
And that law came, didn't come, it came down, it was ministered to by angels, but where did it come from? It came down from Mount Sinai. And it was a terrifying place. You know, the law is a terrifying thing. The law is good and perfect. But man, if you try to keep the law, you try to live under law, when you die, guess where you're going to be? You're going to be on Mount Sinai. You're going to see God at the white throne judgment seat. That's a terrifying place to be. A very terrifying place to be. But we have not, for you have not come to the mountain. We hadn't come to that mountain. Look where we've come. I mean, look where we've come. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the, to the spirits of justified men. What's it mean, justified? Just as if you never sinned. Perfect men. Perfect men and women made holy. In other words, remember when we look back at verse number 14? And I told you, you don't make yourself holy. No one makes himself holy. No one, if you're trying to make yourself holy, which mountain are you sitting at? You're sitting at Mount Sinai. You haven't come to Zion. You haven't come to the heavenly Jerusalem. And what's the most important thing that we see when we get to that mountain, when we, we come to that mountain, we see Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. That's why we're just. That's why we're made perfect. And to the blood of of the sprinkling. You've been sprinkled with the blood. That's the mountain you come to. You've been sprinkled with whose blood? Not the blood of bull and goats because it speaks better than that of Abel, but the blood of Jesus Christ. That's where you come. You should clap at that. Thank you. Not, not at me, but at that good news. See, that's how we run the race. You can run the race and you can have your eyes on the world and you can be a Christian and if your eyes are too much on the world, you're going to get bitter and you're going to get discouraged. Or you can run the race and by faith, you can look at that heavenly mountain, Mount Zion. I got a question for you. This after tonight, maybe the saints play football. You got a choice. I'll give you a choice tonight. You can watch those miserable football players play a miserable game and lose to the Dallas Cowboys. Or you can go get in your closet. On your knees. And you can come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God. That's where you're at. When you get into the holiest of holies, that's what the author of Hebrews been trying to do, get us into the holy of holies. And now he gives us a picture of what it is. You don't see it with your physical eyes. But when you take the time to get before the Lord, you come to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels they are watching you as you pray. And when you're mumbling stupid things, they're saying, <laughs> you believe he's doing No, they're not doing that. <laughs> 
It sure changes your prayer life when you picture it like this. And to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, the guys are already there, they're there. And to God, the judge of all. And most importantly, when you're there, you see Jesus, the mediator of a better covenant. You see yourself sprinkled with his blood. You see yourself made perfect forever. Is that better than a football game? You better believe it is. Now, I'm not telling you you're going to go to hell if you watch the Saints tonight because I might peek at them myself. I don't know why. But boy, don't you see how much time we waste on wasteful things, on worldly things when we could be in the very presence of God? We can actually go to heaven when we go, go into our prayer closet before God. You know, the good news is, you know, I know Christians who are trying to perfect themselves. And, and as they run the race, they're looking to Mount Sinai. That's a terrifying place. If, they, if God would open their eyes and they could see where they're looking, they would say, get me out of here fast. Because if you try to live this life by the law, you're going to fail and you're going to end up at the white throne judgment seat because there's only one way that you can be made perfect and that's by the blood of Jesus Christ. And, you know, in a way, we've all come to that Mount Sinai because Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, that the law is a tutor to bring us to Jesus Christ. The law, we saw that terrifying mountain. You know, it was that terrifying mountain that got me to Jesus Christ. When I realized how wretched I was, when I looked at his perfect law, his law is good and holy. And when I looked at that law, I said, man, I'm going to go to hell. I'm evil. I need to be changed. But now I'm running my race. I don't look back to Mount Sinai. I don't let Mount Sinai condemn me anymore. I, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's in my rearview mirror. And I know Christians that want to look in the rearview mirror all the time. Take your eyes off the rearview mirror and look to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to Jesus Christ, and to all of those angels. And it'll change, it'll change your perspective on life. And you'll find the peace and joy that, that God wants to give you. One of my favorite historical characters is a guy named John Bunyan. I think most of y'all know who I'm talking about. But you talk about a guy who ran one tough marathon. John Bunyan did. I mean, he was heavily persecuted his whole life for his faith. He, he caught it from Protestants because he's, he, he was so strong on 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 the Bible and believe in every word of the Bible and most Protestants didn't. He caught it from, from the Catholics. And so he was persecuted from every side. And so he, was, he ran a tough race. But the toughest part of his race wasn't his persecution. I mean, he spent 13 years in prison for his faith. The toughest part of his race wasn't his prison. The toughest part of his race was the early part of his Christian life. 
And, and the reason it was it because he, he struggled, he said so much with condemnation. You ever read his book, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners? I mean, everybody's read Pilgrim's Progress, but if you hadn't read any one of those books, grab one of them and read it. Pilgrim's Progress or Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. In that book, he describes that, that process that took place. And, and, and he had this strong condemnation. Early in his Christian life, he felt this strong condemnation. You know why? His focus was on the wrong mountain. He was looking to Mount Sinai instead of Mount Zion. And you're never going to find peace at Mount Sinai. All you're going to find is trembling and fear because you're never going to live up to God's standard. And so where should have his focus had been? Should have been. It should have been on Zion. He described, one day all of it changed for him. He described the event as follows. Listen to what he said. He said, there fell upon me a great cloud of darkness. He's speaking of his early Christian life, which so hid me from the things of God and Christ that it was as if I had never seen them or known them in my life. It was as if my loins were broken or as if my hands and feet had been tied with chains. You can't run like that, can you? But one night as I was sitting by the fire, I certainly, suddenly felt this word sound in my heart. It was almost as if it was audible. And it came from Jesus himself. And I heard him say something I'd read before. He said, John, you have not come to Mount Sinai. For you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to the innumerable number of angels, and to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which names are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just man made perfect, and to me, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkling of my blood that speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. And then John Bunyan told his wife, he said, now I know, now I know. I know that I've already victorious in Jesus Christ. He said, I could scarce lie in bed for the joy, supernatural joy and peace and triumph that I realized that night. For I realized what was mine in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you as we close here today, what's, where's your focus as you run this race? Man, you're still looking at Sinai. You're still trying to keep the law. You're going to be miserable. You ain't going to, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it home. That's a frightening place to be. You want to, get, you want to run right past that. Are your eyes mainly on this world? Be careful with that. You might be a pretender like Esau. Remember what God said about Esau? And what and people want to try to twist this text, but it's real simple. He said, Jacob, I have loved. Jacob, that deceiver, that hill catcher, I have loved. But Esau, I've hated. Why did he love Jacob? I mean, Jacob was a scoundrel. But you know, Jacob learned to learn the blesser more than he learned the blessing. Jacob got into the race that God set before him, and he ran that race, and he came to the finish line. Esau, from the beginning to the end, loved the world. And he never got into the race. He ran his own race. He was the captain of his own soul. And God had to say this about him. 
Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. Or, or are you looking at Mount Sinai? That's where your focus wants to be. And when your focus is on Sinai, I can tell you right now, you're going to run that race already victorious. You're going to run that race finding rest and refreshment. You're going to run that race with the peace and joy that passes understanding. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, then we'll do the Lord's Supper. Father, we just thank you for the grace we have in Jesus Christ. Even now, Lord, as we pray, by faith we know that we're in your very presence. Lord, your word said that, says that it's impossible to please you without faith. And those that seek you must believe that you are. And that you reward those who diligently seek you. Lord, and the reward is the prize, the rest, the refreshment that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we just thank you for that. And it's only the blood of Abel the blood of the bulls and goats that Abel shed won't do it, Lord. The law won't do it. But it's your blood, the sprinkling of your blood that gives us access to Mount Zion. We just thank you for that privilege. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name I pray. Amen. I would kneel in the dust at the foot of the cross where mercy paid for me. Where the wrath I deserve, it is gone, it has passed, your blood has hidden me. Mercy, mercy, as endless as the sea. Sing your hallelujah for all eternity. the cup and the bread we will break remembering your love we were falling from grace but you took on our shame and nailed it to the cross mercy
Substantiation. We don't believe that when we bless this wine or this grape juice that it becomes the blood of Christ. We don't believe that this cracker becomes the actual body of Jesus Christ. That would require Christ to get back up on the cross. And we know that by one offering, Christ has perfected those who are being sanctified. He's only going to get on the cross one time. He did that some 2,000 years ago. But let me tell you this. This isn't just some symbolic thing we're doing. It's a supernatural event. Because when we come to the Lord for the Lord's Supper, yeah, we're at 111 Cabilla Drive, but we're also at Mount Zion. We're in the very presence of God we're in the presence of an innumerable company of angels we're if you if God would rip back that uh, dimension and open it up and we could see we're right there and most importantly right there is Jesus Christ the mediator of a better covenant it speaks of the sprinkling of the blood so much better than the covenant of Abel or the covenant of the law better than the sacrifices that Abel made what I'm trying to say listen to what Paul says he says in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the same, is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to stand and we'll close in the song. 